Welcome everyone to the podcast. My name is Sun. I'm a storyteller and marketer. Uh, in this podcast, I help um, Night Owl Nation members kind of coach through whether it's like storytelling, entrepreneurship, marketing, anything like that. Today we have Tess, one of our small group leaders. Hi, Tess. Hey, Sun. So let's start with the kind of your intro, where you're from, what you do, and then we'll go into like your question. Yeah, I, um, I'm from New Jersey. I work in graffiti and mural art. I, um, I also have a main job, which is, at, which is where I am right now. Um, I work for Princeton University. And um, so my side business right now is graffiti and mural art. Um, I am sort of a graffiti artist. I would say I'm an amateur. And I work with eight to 10 graffiti artists, trying to get them jobs in murals. Um, I also curate some galleries. And I think my question today was about the gallery space. Because what's interesting about graffiti art is that graffiti is 100% about authenticity. You creating your mark, right? But when you're in a gallery, I feel like it's entirely the opposite. The people who are great at galleries um, have 3,500 paintings and they're all created in like a big workshop and they're not about authenticity and it's not about, you know, selling that creator's mark. It's about, you know, kind of churning out that artwork. So I'm trying to bridge the gap between graffiti and art galleries and just, I don't know. I'm kind of all over the Got place. it. Got it. Well, okay, let's dive, dive in. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people, I think, by default, because when you say gallery, right? I'm thinking like there's an artist and the art, the gallery would, you know, have feature artists or like whatever it is and people come and buy it. Right. But it's not like that artist is going like I'm selling out to the gallery. Like I'm selling out, like I'm going to create art just for the gallery so you can sell. That's not what's happening. Right. Like the artists themselves are still doing their art. No. Correct. Um, yeah. So like art, Artists do their own artwork, but there are, uh, I would say, mega artists like mm. Shepard Fairey or um, Cause. I don't know if you've seen, like, Cause was on, like, Cocoa Puffs boxes where he has this, like, character and there are X's through the eyes. And Oh, yeah. Um, and that... I've seen those. Yeah, that's Cause. And he's kind of ubiquitous yeah. everywhere. Like, and mm. he has a workshop and a team of people who create cause. So everything is like him, but not really him. And so galleries love people like this because they can churn out. How do they get there? So how do somebody like cause get to become cause? <laughs> I don't know because he was a graffiti artist from New Jersey. And in fact, like, do you know him? Like personally, uh, I don't personally know him, but a lot of the people that I work with know him. Yeah. Okay. And what 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 is he 
is he like just making his art? Is he authentic or is he uh, is he selling out? In, in your opinion, or in the people who know him or whatever. I think in the beginning he was an authentic artist creating mm-hmm. by hand, and now he has sold out in that mm-hmm. he is creating on a large scale and needs an entire workshop of people to create one painting. Or Got one it. What about people? Do you know people? Um, I've heard of him. Yeah. Like, do you think he's a artist? Like he's doing true art or do you think he's selling out? I, so the problem is I don't, I think every artist's goal is to sell out. Hmm. Like if you even the ones that are like starving artists, that oh my god, if they could sell out, they would sell out immediately. Yeah. Why don't they? Who is giving them the offer to sell out? Well, and how do you get that offer? (laughs) Okay, let me let me start over. So, from what I I don't know a lot a lot about the art world. But from what I know, it actually has nothing to do with the art. It has to do with the, the publicity around the art, right? Like, the value of the art is not really determined by the people, right? It's really determined by the curator. Yes. Right? So if you can, because I, I, I've read, I watched this entire, because I'm addicted to YouTube, watched this entire documentary on YouTube about uh, Jackson Pollock. Is that his name? Yeah. The, the one that does, like, the, the blob, the crazy painting like that right and how like nobody thought he was a great artist like he, he hasn't sold anything until he hooked up with this curator <laughs> and then like the the curator like what the curator does is they build this entire story around it and and, and things like that and they promote it and they do this pr around it and that's how an artist becomes an artist and it's almost like so that's why the way i look at it the art industry is no different than any other industry where it's the it's the fluff around it, the, the the promotion and the puff around it is what makes it, not necessarily the art itself. Right. So my goal as a small business owner, right, my business is at a crossroads. I could continue to sell murals, one mural at a time. Mm-hmm. Or I could go into this like art agency, art curation and be paid to have an eye for art, see the next upcoming artist. Like, mm-hmm. and how do I build my brand to be that? Like, I, how do people trust these curators? Like, I wanna be that person who's making $300,000 to just be like, yes, Joseph, or Jose uh, Parla, like he's the next Jackson uh, Pollock. I don't know if you wanna hear this, but uh, that's PR. So that you you the skills that's required to do that, in my opinion, is the same skills that's required to be a great publicist, right? Because the publicist's job is to sell the celebrity, <laughs> sell the person, right, and create a whole entire story around it and connect with the right person, get him into the right podcast and say the right things, right? That's the entire publicist's job, and I almost feel like. Uh, the curator or like the artist manager, like talent manager and stuff like that. That's also their job because 
Did you see this movie? Uh, no, sorry, that movie. There's a Netflix show right now called Beef. Have you seen it? No. Oh, okay. So you know, like Dave Cho is in that in that show. Okay. And and uh, the one of the scenes in that show, I actually this has nothing to do with Dave Cho, Dave Dave Cho, but <laughs> one of the scenes in that show is there's this Japanese guy whose dad was a famous art uh, furniture designer like um and everybody his dad passed away but everybody respects him and now he's like a sculptor he does this sculpting and nobody buys it like it's shit <laughs> nobody thinks he's talented but then the mom comes in like and and he you know in front of all these rich people she does throws this party and she like tells an entire story around it <laughs> Like this amazing story, and people are like, "Oh, they're just eating it up, right?" And that's how that's what brings the value of that art up, right? It's kind of like the Mona Lisa. Like the nobody gave a shit about the Mona Lisa until it got stolen, and then it got stolen again, and then there's like a, this entire story behind it, and that's what made the Mona Lisa the Mona Lisa, right? So, or you know, the, have you seen those like paintings that are like, it's basically just white, it's white canvas. Like bunch of white canvas in the gallery, and they did this whole story of like, oh, the meaning of white, and they how the light. So when he paints the white, it's just white. It's just a white paint, but different shade, like different shades of white. And how when he has to light that room in a, in in the environment that it's going to be displayed when he paints it and stuff. He, they just make up bullshit around it, and the bullshit is what sells the art. Okay, so here's <laughs> my question: then. If like I'm really good at that. I, can, I, I will just, I'll just self-promote for a second. I'm really good at that. I'm really good at that one-to-one. Like, for example, one of my great friends and an, an extremely amazing artist, his name is Clarence Rich. He just had an art opening on Friday, and I went to it. And as we're standing in the gallery, like, most of these people are my friends. Like, I know them. And as we're standing there and we're chit-chatting about regular life, I'm like, oh yeah, and this painting here, that kind of reminds me of that story that you just told because blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And then I, I like connect the colors and I'll connect like the emotion behind them. Can you tell the story uh, that you told in Wednesday workshop about that guy who just did graffiti because he wanted this girl to see it? and. I forgot what his name was, but yeah. Well, he was the invent. He was like the basically the inventor of cor- of graffiti, and his name. Can is you tell cornbread. us his story? Yeah, cornbread. Yeah. Yeah, cornbread. He's amazing. I actually met him. Wait, wait, wait. I want you to sell cornbread to us right now. <laughs> okay. Like through the story. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what am I selling? Like his, like a painting of his because he doesn't have he doesn't really have paintings anymore his story like because it's the story that makes the artist you know, like so in order to sell the artist to to let everybody to um, to let a million people know amazing how amazing this art is and i was like oh i want that right is you have to you have to sell the story right. and to me when you told that story at Wednesday workshop of the how how he started mm, that made me, I was like, I want one of his <laughs> graffiti. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, he's the inventor of graffiti, and he uh, he grew up in Philadelphia. 
And at that time in Philadelphia, first of all, graffiti used to just be like a pen and your name on like books and grocery store, you know, little places where you would just... Like sun was here. (laughs) And it wasn't... And you would only be in your neighborhood. So if you didn't really go 10 blocks, 15 blocks outside of your neighborhood, you just went in the three blocks surrounding yourself in the school, you know? And when cornbread kind of was in school and starting to do graffiti, he uh, he loved this girl named Cynthia. And Cynthia was kind of like the pivotal moment for him where he went out and started to write Cornbread Loves Cynthia everywhere. Like he would write Cornbread Loves Cynthia on the grocery store, on the bodega, on the sidewalk, on the like the fence posts. Um, and then he started, he like found out where she lived and followed her home from school and then would write Cornbread Loves Cynthia on all the trains, like in spray paint, the trains that would pass her by. And he found out like her favorite restaurant and then would write like Cornbread Loves Cynthia on the tables there. And so he was like, he wanted to profess his love so much that he started graffitiing outside of his neighborhood. This was the first time that anyone had ever taken that step to kind of be more well-known than just your surrounding area. And that started what graffiti is today because he took the initiative and was in all of these different neighborhoods. And then I don't, you know, I I honestly don't know if Cynthia ever gave in and loved him back. (laughs) I mean, after that, he became a legend. And so his tag like would be cornbread and then he would be cornbread the legend so and then this story came out how did he become the legend well he he named himself right he but was it people knew that story people started to find him places and tag underneath him so you he would write cornbread and then people would tag their own name underneath but do those people know this story that the reason why he was doing it is to profess his love to this girl? Right. Like, and, and he did it like, okay. Yes, he would write Cornbread Loves Cynthia. And then underneath, other amateur graffiti artists would write their names. And then people would look for where Cornbread tagged. And then they would write their name underneath. So it became like a scavenger hunt for other graffiti artists. Like, where is Cornbread? Where's his tag? Let me tag next to him. I want to be as famous as Cornbread, right? So it became like this big movement. Um, of, so what happened to Cornbread now? So right now, uh, Cornbread is an old old gentleman. I mean, he's... Does he sell art? He sells, um, he sells signed autographs. And he'll sell uh, speaking engagements. But I think he has a normal job. Like, I think he has a nine to five. I'm not really sure what he does. 
but um, I saw him at the Beyond the Streets um, curated. So you wouldn't say he made it as an artist? Absolutely not. He did not make it as an artist. Okay. Yeah. Well, does he want to? Does he want to sell out? He wants to sell out. Yeah. He. he, Oh, that's where you come in. (laughs) He tried to have a movie about him Mm -hmm. that flopped. Mm -hmm. Like they tried to make a movie about him, but the the screenplay was terrible. But that's the reason why. The reason why it doesn't work is because a lot of people have this mentality of, oh, oh, if I build it, they will come, right? And that and (laughs) people do that on social media too. Like, oh, I just, I'm just gonna, you know. I'm just going to put out YouTube videos that's like dear to my heart. And as long as I love it, well, then nobody watches it, right? And that's the whole thing, right? Like authenticity doesn't sell like that. You have to know how to sell it. Ooh. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're right. And, and the way you sell it is like you, you're telling that story, but that's only one part of it. The other part of it is you have to know who the right people to sell it to. Do you understand what I mean? So you have to play the game. If you don't play the game, and the game is, like I said, it's PR, it's publicist job. You have is knowing knowing the right magazine editors, knowing the right podcast hosts, make, building relationship with them, and then having cornbread go there, and then basically sell out, right? Tell the story, and you know what I mean. And that's what selling out is. You know, you know. And, and the story also is, you know, like Jay-Z talks about this, right? He, in one of his songs, like I, I forgot the exact lyrics, but um, uh, he says something like, like if, if, if skills sold, um, you know, like truth be told, <laughs> like I'll probably like comment and, and uh, I, I forgot which other rapper he mentioned but um but since i sold like a million records like i haven't i haven't been common since right and what he's saying is the best rappers the ones that he respect the most the top talent in the rap game are actually not that famous yeah and you you kind of had to dumb down your music in order to become famous and that's what selling out is do you understand what i mean yeah so and that's what that guy's doing with the the cereal box guy. That's what people's doing. That's what you know. That's what these guys are doing. They're commercializing their art. They're selling out. Okay, so the problem is that bringing a street artist, right? Like a graffiti artist, is totally authentic, unselloutable. You make the graffiti on the street. Yeah. But. A lot of these graffiti artists have art, canvas art, like art that they make for a gallery. Mm. And they want to sell that canvas art. They want to make it big. And I want to help them do that. So how do I help them? And also, this is my other thing, is (laughs) I think I'm having an internal struggle because I don't have a lot of time. Like, I have so many passions. I'm a, I'm a foster, foster mom. mom. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. And that takes up so much of my time. And and I have a podcast now, which I uh, have 13, almost 13 episodes on. <laughs> and like, I have other passions and excitement. And I think I'm playing the long game with this art career where I'm hoping that if I do a little bit every day and I keep going to shows, galleries, making connections, that maybe when my children are grown up. It's not going to work. You don't think so? I can tell you right now. No. I mean, this whole, I don't believe in this whole multi-passionate thing. What I believe is is the eighty twenty principle, right? So, even for even for people that are like um, have a lot of passion and their 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 hand their hand in many different things, what I tell them to do is eighty percent of your time should be spent on the main thing, and then twenty percent of the time try those other things, and then see if one of those things can you know either incorporate into the main thing or or become something, but eighty per- because some people are spending 100% of their time on it 24-7 all the time and obsessed with it. And this still takes them 10 years, 20 years to make it. So you think you're going to just like casually do it on the side? And st- no, that's not how things work in life. <laughs> do you understand what I mean? Yeah, like I, but it's so I knew that. <laughs> I mean, you can do that if you just want to feed your own ego and, you know, like, okay, I feel like I'm having fun here. But it's never going to take off like that. It's so much work. It's, I, I, I don't think most people realize in order to become successful in anything, doesn't matter what it is, right? How much work it actually requires, how much work and grit and time it requires to, you know, be good at something. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. I think. And I didn't even say 100%, I said 80%. Right, and I'm not. I'm not talking about like you're including your day job, right? Because day jobs are usually like when you have a day job and you have a side hustle. It's not like your day job is the eighty percent, because you're just doing your day job to pay the bills, you know. So within your high side hustle, like basically, like all your energy has to go into one, and then once you quit your day job, now eighty percent of that energy goes here. And then twenty percent of the energy goes. So I mean that, you know, you require like success requires sacrifices. <laughs> like for me, that's why I picked this. Right, I knew in my heart that I need to stop spending time and night out my agency, in order for me to make Night Owl Nation something, you know, truly good, right? Turn really turn. And I knew that even then it's gonna take. At least three to five years for me to get there. We're in year one. Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> so, I like because of that. That's why, like, I knew that I I couldn't be like doing night owl my agency while doing this and still trying to like toggle like and and that's only just two things, right? <laughs> Even then, I knew it was impossible. That like, so, yeah. Probably didn't want to hear that. But I also think that that's when you, you, when you double down on one thing, that 
that's when most people actually will find passion in it. Because what, what a lot of people do is this. Oh, I'm a multi-passionate. Um, oh, I love accounting, but I also love yoga and teaching yoga. And I love also like health and wellness. And I'm into Enneagram and human design. And I'm also, you know, all about Web3. And I love writing too. <laughs> right? And then they're like trying to like submerge them. And then they're like, I don't know. I can't pick one. Blah, blah, blah. Well, those people are going to live the rest of their life confused, not knowing what their passion is. But if they just pick one of them, doesn't even matter which one. If they just pick one and focus zero in on that and actually start getting really good at it, like let's say this is mastery, this is where you're getting really good. When you start getting really good at it, that's when it starts becoming fun. That's when it starts becoming, like the first time you go um, snowboarding, it's not gonna be fun. Like in the beginning, you're gonna be falling on your ass, falling. it's not gonna be fun. But once you figure out how to carve, it gets a little bit more. And then once you figure out how to do this next thing, it gets more fun. And then when it gets really, really fun is once you become so good at it that you're teaching other people how to do it and you're actually making a difference in the, or you're doing it professionally and people are getting entertained by it. When you're able to use that thing that you're really good at to make a difference in the world, that's when it becomes amazingly fun. <laughs> do you understand what I mean? Yes. So it's not like you pick one. <laughs> the right one that you pick is going to be fun and this one, that, that's not how it works. You know? Can I ask you about like me specifically? So when I, I feel like I present myself as a graffiti artist or as an art person on Instagram and like outwardly, I talk about art way more than I talk about anything else. And so I mm -hmm. feel that I'm, I try to talk about art, but I do have a personal life. So my personal life and my professional life kind of butt heads where I talk about graffiti a lot. No. Also talk about foster care a lot, which is my personal life. Yeah. I think you need to stop the if you wanna don't, like really be successful in the graffiti world, actually make that your career and go somewhere, you have to give up the foster care. You have to give up the the other stuff that you have to give up the podcast for now. You have to give up maybe even you know, spending too much time on social media. Like, you really need to hone in on this. <laughs> and what that looks like is this. Like, making a list of every art er editor, every art curator, every art gallery, emailing every single one of them every day, <laughs> making relationship, going out, to going out to lunch with them, going out to, uh, you know, go going to these networking parties and just getting yourself submerged in that world by making relationship and like first being like having those contacts first and then knowing how to tell the story of your artist right and then over time the combination of the quality and the quantity it's what's going to build your reputation and then you get to a point where you start making connections and things but those are all the legwork that needs to be done like if if you want like if a client comes to me and they want if I'm a publicist and that's what they want, the first thing I would do is I would make a list of 100 podcasts that I should, we should, they should go on and then start reaching out to them and start make, building relationship with them. The reason why the, the best publicists are famous and they get paid a lot of money 
is because they already have a contact with the editor-in-chief of New York Times. They already have a contact. They're already friends with uh, the Vogue magazine. They're already friends with the uh, Good Morning America producer. They're already friends with, uh, you know, Joe Rogan's producer. Like, they're already friends with them. So they can just get their books, put their client in there. That, the highest paid publicist, you're actually paying for their Rolodex. Okay, but you're, okay, so I should be a publicist is essentially what you're saying. Is that? Well, that, I think that's what our curator is. I think, I think that's what art manager is. That's what, like, those people would not be who they are without those contacts. But someone like Jay Shetty, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he is a brand and he has built his brand and he is known for something and people want his opinion. They want him on their podcast. They want him in their world talking about that, you know, talking about things. Like, why can't people want me as an art curator? And then I would promote yeah. And then I would. You want the real answer? <laughs> the real answer is you're not Jay Shetty. That's kind of. Most right. people are not Jay. Most people are not Jay Shetty because I've never seen anybody take off like Jay Shetty, where, like, just within a matter of five years, just a, a brand taking off like that, and maybe it's the combination of his. His British Indian accent with his green eyes and how how present he is and his charisma and what I don't know what exactly it is, but it's the same reason why you're not Steve Jobs, you're not Elon Musk. There's only those kind of people come once in a lifetime. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? So we can't compare ourselves to that. Do you understand what I mean? Jay Shetty has such a great understanding of what people want that I told you, like when I was working with him. I would spend 20 hours coming up with this design. I would show it to him. And immediately, like, just look one look, and he would be like, oh, no, we got to do this, this, this. And then I see it, and I'm like, of course. Like, why didn't I see that? <laughs> like, this guy is a marketing genius. And the reason why he's a marketing genius is because he just instinctively knows what people want. Do you understand what I mean? Okay, so if like, I'm He doesn't know that he's a marketing genius. <laughs> Actually, when that ha- when I was working with them, I went through an exist- existential crisis because I was like, what the fuck? Like, I-, I spent 20 years doing marketing, and this guy doesn't even have a marketing background. He's so good at marketing. Like, so that's when I realized, like, some people are just born to born marketers. The people who go to marketing school and study marketing, they're actually the opposite. They suck in marketing. That's why they have to learn that. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I you know what I mean? Like, like me. School. I work in marketing right now, and I never went to marketing school. And my, bo- and my boss <laughs> is like, wow, that's a great idea. Everything you say is great. And I'm like, I okay. <laughs> but the, here's why I say you're not Jay Shetty. Because people like Jay Shetty, people like Steve Jobs, people like Elon Musk, you already kind of know when they're 19. <laughs> like, Jay, like, because Jay Shetty took off when he was like 23. Do you understand what I mean? So those people, it's very, very obvious who the who the geniuses are, who the stars are at a very young age. Like but people don't I'm just hearing, become a star. But what I'm hearing from you is that I could be Jay Shetty if I market myself. 
like he markets no. himself. No, because okay. then you are, you would have already been there. <laughs> but like, I could be Oprah. She hasn't already, you know, at two, no, five. Here's the thing about people like Oprah and everyone else is talking about. Those are the people that those are the normal cases where people say it took 10 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> so that's why I didn't bring up people like Gabby Bernstein, Mel Robbins, Oprah, right? The reason why I didn't bring up those people along with Jay Shetty, Elon Musk, and Steve Jobs is the difference is that those people have been grinding for 10 years under the radar. You didn't know that. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they popped up, just like how George Clooney, his career started basically in his 40s, right? And and that's how that's the normal route that you have to grind for 10 years underneath, like underground. And that's when you're really building it up. And then it just seems like an overnight success, but they're usually never overnight success. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I want to be like that. I want to grind for 10 years. And then and what grinding I'm saying is looking looks like is going to that going to that art exhibit every weekend, going yeah. to the some event every weekend, meeting people, like talking to three people there, three every week for a year, and then that three people turns into six people, right? Like it's it's kind of like a how a comedian does it or like a musician does it, going to that open mic and making joke in front of that three people week after week after week and then the three people turns into 10 people and then a couple years later it turns into 20 people and then five years later it's like 100 people in the room right you're, you're telling and and before you know it there's a line out the door and then some agent sees it because they hear it through this person who's already through this person and then boom you go on a tonight show and boom overnight you become a success like that's the pet path like <laughs> that's what grinding a lot of people don't know what grinding means <laughs> that's what grinding looks like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like me, like, you know, when, when we, first of all, I had to work in a, like a corporate design agency, listening to just basically, you know, some, some, some creative director who knows nothing about design, you know, giving me directions and I had to like kill, eat my ego and just do that for, for a few years until I started freelancing. Now I got to do a website for a thousand dollars. And then grinding, grinding, and then like listen to clients saying, make the logo bigger, make the logo bigger, grinding, grinding. And and to a certain point, like, oh, I finally got this client and use this client to get this client and get this client to use this. And then until a certain point, you know, like it just all of a sudden everyone knows about it. And then now I don't have to sell. But it, it that's what grinding looks like. Grinding is not easy. <laughs> you know, it's grinding. Part of grinding is doing those boring things that you don't want to do that seems like like even on Instagram right part of grinding like right now how I'm on, on like think about it I just went on Twitter two weeks ago right so now I'm grinding right like for example on Instagram I can spend two hours making carousel boom post it and it'll get a hundred thousand views <laughs> okay it was like oh like, and people going like oh this is amazing oh that immediately I get the validation a thousand people sharing it and then think about it. I knowing that now I got to spend two hours make posting it on Twitter, and then get six likes, right? And I got to do it again, and again, and I probably have to do that for the next two years. <laughs> That's what grinding looks like. Even though it's it, it'll be easy for me to just post on Instagram, 
then my Twitter is not going to grow. Do you understand what I mean? I think my biggest disappointment is that you said that I have to give up foster care. And that really is like such a struggle for me because I think my two passions in life are foster care and art. So that just, and I think of them personally as my professional life and my personal life. And so I feel like I try to have a good work-life balance, right? And everyone tries to have this good work-life balance. But in order to be successful in one, in my work, I have to not have a good work-life balance. I have to maybe get rid of my, my second. I mean, how many successful people you know that has a good work-life balance? <laughs> I, mean, no, I mean, I don't know a lot of like wildly successful people, so I have no idea. But in my imagination, they are going on vacation all the time because they have millions and billions of dollars. Yeah, so there are the the Ariana Huffingtons, like the Mark Randolph, but it's because they already cashed out their two hundred million dollars. It's easy to be have work life balance when you have two hundred million dollars in the bank, but how do they get there in the first place? Yeah, like. Ariana Grande, like, uh, sorry, Ariana Huffington talks about work-life balance because one day she passed out and woke up in a pool of her own blood because she was burnt out. And that's why she, talked, she wrote the book about the burnout. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, Ariana, Ariana Huffington, you got to where you are because of that. If I had work-life work balance from day one, you know, uh, 20 years later, I'll be that guy still working for the man, like working a corporate job, complaining about like, why am I not successful? Well, because you want a work-life balance. <laughs> like, I don't believe in work-life balance. because experience in foster care has given me so much knowledge, uh, knowledge that other people I feel don't have about humans and interaction and personal interaction and it's given me a lot of insight into like what people want and how they think. And that's why when I go into a gallery, I can say like, oh no, these five paintings are going to sell and these two are definitely not going to sell. And that this is why. And I can like. I understand. I, I mean, but we're talking about two different things. Yeah, I understand all of that, but there's only 24 hours in a day. So, I mean, you, you can't fight you can't fight reality <laughs> like there's you know what I mean like you need this many hours to build your build this side of the business and if you're spending this much of that here <laughs> of course it's just gonna take forever and it's already gonna take forever <laughs> and you're making that even more longer forever <laughs> do you understand what I mean <laughs> yeah that, I mean that yeah. I think that's that's that sacrifice is required. And, and here's why I don't believe in work-life balance. So the other day I was talking to somebody about work-life balance and, and, and she said, Oh, I just want to do what I like. I just want to do what I enjoy. Right. Like, and I enjoy traveling and vacation and you know, blah, 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 blah. Perfect. Yeah. Do that. Right. Or, or what if you enjoy uh, making art or you enjoy, enjoy writing, whatever it is. Right. It just like to them, they're not thinking like that. Oh, it's, it's work-life balance. Like that—that that is life for them, because <laughs> they're doing what they enjoy doing, right? Like if you were to tell me, like, son, just why don't you just do enjoy, enjoy what? Like, 
I don't feel burnt out at all. I don't feel like I don't have a bad work-life balance at all. Because every single day I'm doing what I love. Like, I literally enjoy this process so much Son, that I don't I, I wonder if your dog would say that. Like, I wonder dog if Scott? your dog would be like, I miss my dad. <laughs> like, he doesn't have a good like, work-life balance and I miss him. You know? Like, if he could actually... I don't have a kid. So I don't know, right? Like maybe if I had a kid, that'll hold, that'll all change, you know. So I don't, because I don't know. I can't, I can't say from a parent's perspective. Like so, maybe if I had a kid, all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, forget this. Uh, like this is my, <laughs> this is where I want to put my, th- and and I think there's nothing wrong with that. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, but, but then then like we should. Bill Gates have a lot of kids and they still are successful. Like Bill Gates has has children, and he's wildly successful. But you think he's a good dad? Oh, my God. He's a terrible dad. (laughs) Everyone knows that. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what usually happens, right? When, when, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess there's a way to do it, but I just don't think that, I don't think that you can get to anywhere. um, I don't think you can become uh, excellent at anything. By just half-assing it, by doing it part-time, because because there are other people out there that are trying to do that thing, that are putting literally 100% of their energy on it day in and day out. I mean, that's how we have to look at everything, right? Like, if, if you want to be an NBA basketball player, and you say, "Oh, I'll practice basketball part-time," and then you know, like, and then there's other people that all they're doing is practicing, like Kobe Bryant. <laughs> Like, there's no way you're ever going to be good enough to play in the NBA, right? If you, if you say you want to be a concert pianist and people like my sister is practicing piano 10 hours a day, like, there's no way you can compete with her. If you say, oh, I'll just practice a couple hours a day and I'll go hang out with my friend. Like, that's, it's, that's, why, those, like, I, that's why I don't like this whole, you know, younger generation of YouTubers and, you know, Instagram going like, oh, you know, talking about success and things like that. I... They have no idea what hard work really looks like. They have no idea what discipline really looks like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I told that story, right? Like I used to work with a lot of tech startups in the beginning at night out. And the moment I realized I got to stop working with tech startups, because like these, first of all, these tech startups kept going out of business after a year. <laughs> like they'll spend like $100,000 building an app and then they go out of business after a year, right? Because there's no users or they run out of money or whatever, right? So I couldn't use any of them in our portfolio <laughs> because it didn't exist anymore, right? And nobody knows who it is, right? And then one day I was talking to this, this tech startup founder and he said that one of the things he said is like, oh, we started last year, a year ago. And I'm like, that first caught me off guard. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what did you do for the past year? And he's like, um, you know, a lot of meetings, like, I, you know, like just flying out of town and a lot of meetings. So his idea of gr- grinding and start startup was like putting on this tie and going to some board meetings or some advisor meeting and just creating this Microsoft PowerPoint keynote and like that was his idea of what hard work was like. But the real hard work is sitting in a studio apartment with two roommates, sitting in the kitchen, coding eighteen hours a day, building that app for six months, and then launching it. Like that's what hard work really looks like. 
and and because I went through that in the beginning years of Naira, where I was literally sleeping in the office, and that's why at, at that moment I realized, okay, we have a. It's it's kind of like remember the first Great Depression. Uh, somebody, I think it was Joe Kennedy that said, um, as soon as you 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 start hearing stock tips from uh, the shoe shine boy, that's how you know you have a <laughs> you have an inflated market, right? Like when everybody's an investor. So that's at that moment. That's when I realized, okay, yeah, we have a fluff. Like we we have something, we have something in the air, here. Like something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I just, I guess, I'm just. I guess, what I'm concerned about is that. I am not an expert right now in art. I just really like it. You don't have to be an expert in life. But I for what you want to I'm an expert in childcare. In fact, I'm certified to be a parent. Can I tell you something? You know that you can be just as fulfilled in one as like it's kind of like what I said about the snowboarding thing before. You don't find passion in what you do. You either have passion or you don't. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm so frustrated that people think that, oh, there's this one career out of these man, out of these hundreds of thousands of careers out there. There's this one thing that defines me. And once I find that, life is going to change. That's kind of like the peop- those, those people that are like, once I find the perfect husband, once I find the perfect wife, then I'll be happy. But the studies have shown that they so they did a study of the happiest couples versus the unhappiest couples, and the only consistency they found is that the unhappy couples they were also unhappy when they were single. The happy couples they were also happy when they were single. Like so, it's kind of that old saying, like you know, I think from Nora Ephron, uh, where she said like, if you can't be happy doing the dishes, you can't be happy, right? So. <laughs> I guarantee you, it, it's not the. <laughs> it's not the thing that's gonna make you happy. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I just love her. She's a genius. And way early in my career, I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be a screenplay writer," and then I was not at all. There was just so many things. But you could have been. It doesn't really matter. Like it does whether it's screenwriting, childcare. It really doesn't matter what you pick. If you go all in on it, and you become one of the best in it, you're gonna have unful like you're gonna have amazing fulfillment in it. The thing is, down here, you're not gonna be fulfilled in anything when you're starting, like when you're not one of the best at it, right? So what what everybody's looking for is they're they're searching for oh, once I find that thing, I'll go all in. But the way you find that. <laughs> The way you become passionate and fulfilled about something is when you've gone already gone all in on something. So it's counterintuitive because you're gonna those people that are like multi-passionate and say, "Oh, I, I like this, I like this. Oh, I don't, I, I gotta find the thing, right?" Those people are gonna end up like spend the rest of their life searching. <laughs> I hope to scare away. I hope this message right here scared a lot of people into waking up and stop doing that because it's a terrible way to live life. That's why I hate that book, Start With Why. (sighs) 
I feel like that book confused more people than helped. <laughs> I'm sure there's like 10% of people that it helped. And those are the people that never needed the book in the first place. Because they, those are the people that don't really care. Those are the people that are like just day to day, just focusing on today. So that they're, okay, uh, this is my why? Okay, fine. They're not looking for the perfect why. They're like, oh, this is good enough. Let, let me just do this. Go all in. <laughs> and then they become successful. And because they're successful in it, they find fulfillment in it. The ones that are like, oh, no, that's not my why. Oh, no, that's not my why. Oh, no, no, that's not. And they tried this for a little bit. Oh, no, that's not it. That's like, they're going to be 60 years old. Oh, no, I'm still looking for their why. <laughs> I'm concerned that I don't, so I have this thought that I am a really good parent and my husband and I have had a lot of children and a lot of different situations and a lot of different age ranges. So from, from birth to 19 years old, I've had foster care kids within all of those spans. I've had 22 children. And the average person has about two children. And so my sample size is giant, and I'm very good at this. And what I'm concerned about is if I drop graffiti, which I love and I'm passionate about, but if I drop that, to focus only on foster parenting and parenting and parenting techniques and talking about parenting. I don't like following parenting manuals. I don't, I don't personally enjoy consuming that content. And so will- Me neither. Right. And will I- No, no, no. What I mean is, what I mean is, I like making Instagram posts and I like putting out content, but I don't like consuming content. It's mo most people, most people that are the best at what they do are like that. That's how you make breakthroughs. That's how you bring something new to the world. That, like the fact that you don't follow the, like it's like Phil Stutz, right? Like Phil Stutz is probably the most famous psycho psychiatrist in the world. Right? He has his own Netflix movie, for Christ's sake, right? <laughs> but the reason why he is there is because he does it differently. That he, he says, oh, that the, the therapist is not supposed to give advice. Like, oh, you just sit there and go, oh, oh how does that make you feel? Like, that bullshit therapy, he, he, he hates that. Yeah, right? it's like, no, that, tools. I'll give you some yeah. tools. And that's why, that, that's why he's where he is. Like, you don't get there by just doing what everyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> like me I'm doing I'm doing this completely different than anyone else if I'm just gonna make another you know a six-figure launch like a six-figure launch course or another 10k a month course with well, here's the modules here's a Kajabi boom if I just do another one of those things like what's the point of that there's already a million of those out there however however in your community, you have people who have been with you in other communities. In fact, some of your core members, one of your core members has been with you for in other capacities. 
So that I don't know if that's really true, son, because like maybe you, you are doing something different, but that member or many many of your members have followed you from I think Rob is a good example of that. Because I, I think the people that are the the most hardcore members are the ones that went through the B school, went through the Porterfield, Amy Porterfield, that went through those programs and had the similar experience like because I went through all those programs too. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I and and, and and listened to Tony Robbins, did the landmark, did all of that, and then it still didn't help. So these people are the, my most dedicated followers because these people understand that that doesn't work and that I'm, I'm saying something different here. Do you understand what I mean? The ones that are actually kind of new to Night Owl Nation without any- letting them design your community. Is that like, I mean, you're, you're allowing them to design your community. And I mean, it is possible, although not probable, that they will design the, your community in the way that like has already been done or the way that feels familiar no. to them. They're going to design it the way that they want. <laughs> the, the communities are going to, the community, if, if the, because community is not one person, right? It's a lot of people. So what's going to happen is it, the community is going to get designed the way the community wants. Not what this one person wants, not what I want. Not what this one person wants. It's gonna, it's gonna do the best for the community, right? The problem why that doesn't work in other communities, and the reason why when you go to uh, one of these marketing communities or when you go to these conferences, right? As soon as you walk in, like you just feel like everybody's just trying to get you in their lean back, then just trying to sell you, blah blah blah, like all that thing. It's because, like, the the at the end of the day, what the community, the top of the community wants is more sales, more money. Do you understand what I mean? Like, so it's not really like, so they've kind of abandoned the community almost like that's different. Like, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious. I, you know, I actually think trying, for you. I'm trying to do something fully different, right? Like, if I'm trying to do parenting. No, I'm not trying to do fully, something fully different. Fully different. You know, it's. I think it's going to be... And you're not trying to do something fully different either. There's a difference between... I also hate the, those creative people who are like, oh, you know, everyone who does this is wrong, so I'm going to do it this way. Like, uh, trying to be different for the sake of being different, that's, okay. like, that, that's just like people who just want attention. Like, I just want to be different so that I'm, I'm unique and I'm a, you know, I'm a, like, I just want attention. That's what that is, right? It's the people that are like, it's like the naked cowboy or whatever. Like, they just want to be different for the sake of different. That I doesn't mean, like mean it's I've better. Been, I've been those people in the past. When I was younger, <laughs> I was totally those people. No, yeah, a lot of people are like that. But I think we need to understand at some point that what, what I want to do is I want to create something that works. And if... In order to create something that works, it has to be different than what's out there. Because what's out there is not working right now. I am going to use some of those things that works here. I'm not going to completely abandon it. But then I'm not going to do something just because it's different. If it doesn't work, I'm not going to do it. Do you know what I mean? And it's going to be the same thing for you. You're going to do the things that works for parenting from your personal experience 
of raising 22 kids because nobody has ever had that experience. Maybe somebody has been working in a daycare where they're like, but those people, it's not the same, right? Because those people, it's not their kids. At the end of the day, they can care. It's a job for them where ah, this kid's crying. Like I've seen it so many times, like in this like daycares or like those kind of places where I can clearly see it. They don't give a shit about the kids, right? But when you're like foster mom that are actually raising two, 22 kids, you come from a completely different place. And you're going to realize and you're going to learn things that that those books, like that actually is not different than what those books say. Like how, how what those books, those things, how that hurts, you're going to understand those things. And when you start teaching it from your own personal experience and personal learning, it's already going to be different. Not because you want to try to be different, but because you're just doing what works, what worked for you. And there, there, maybe that's the thing, right? I think the reason why the, the other online courses don't work is because it's, it's, it's the difference between why those, those books about parenting, who, who's written by some PhD sitting in a room doing research, who's, who can't even raise their own kids, right? Oh my are God, doing... psychologists are the worst. They raise like the worst children. <laughs> Yeah, and then they they write some book about it based on research, and that's why it doesn't work. The same reason why those online courses don't work is because these guys are just marketers that are like put together some course and be like, oh yeah, all you gotta do is oh you just gotta be two steps ahead, and you just like you know just teach them what they know, and then and then they spend eighty percent of the time on how to build leads, how to generate like so you got you have a bunch of marketers teaching. Of course, they're not gonna know how to teach. Like I think it's different when you're actually in it. And that's the reason why I do this. That's the reason why this is the fourth call I'm doing just this morning, right? That's the reason why I was on the call with. <laughs> that's the reason why I was on the call with Elif before. You're like a psycho. I I don't understand how you have any personal time. <laughs> uh, but but the thing is, I truly truly, you spending time with your foster kids. It's like me jumping on these calls, me teaching that class live, because there's a difference between me thinking, oh, this is the right way, and I'm going to teach it, record it, and then just, okay, all of you guys have it, versus me showing up on Zoom every single day, trying this, oh, oh, oh that person didn't, like, here's a good example, right? You know how right now I talk about, first I talk about the myth, truth thing, uh, old you, and, and I just discovered that everybody, nobody was doing that. And then now what I'm discovering is, because I'm putting that out first, people are so concerned with the old, new, you, new, the transformation lesson, that they can't go in their heart to that moment and really just let themselves like let themselves discover what really happened, right? Because they're like, what's the lesson here? Oh, what's the what? like they're in their head, not in their heart when they tell their story, right? So so now what I started saying is like forget about the lesson for now. Forget about the old you, new you, and just go to that five second moment in your memory, in the heart, right? And then once we find discover, okay, what what is the actual lesson there, then we'll apply that, right? But then when I did that, a lot of people were like, I don't have a five-second moment. I haven't so, so this week, I literally talked to 10 different people trying to help them through the five-second moment. And last night, finally, what I realized is the most of them, these people don't have a five-second moment is because breakthroughs happen like this. Breakthroughs are like, it's like a series of steps. And then breakthrough happens here. So what happens was there was a series of like little interesting moments 
that you recognize the pattern. And then at one point, there's like, oh, that moment where. So that's what I realized last night. But the thing is, if last year I'm like, I'm going to make an online course and, blah, 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 and just put it out, I would have never learned any of these. That's why there's a difference between a practitioner and some theory person who teaches. And I, that's why I don't think any, like I've never met a marketing professor who's actually good in marketing because they've never done marketing in real life. All they thought was taught marketing based on textbooks and universities. Like if you want to, if you want to, if you're really gonna be good in business, you have to run a business. If you're really gonna be good in parenting, you have to raise a lot of kids. <laughs> like, yeah. If you really want to be good in, you know, like storytelling, teaching storytelling, you have to teach a lot one-on-one -on -one to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And that's the, that's the grind I'm putting in right now. I'm not making no money. As a matter of fact, I'm losing a lot of money every month right now. And every day, I'm hearing it from Gigi, like, hey, like, do you know what I mean? But the reason why I'm going through that is this is me putting in the grind. This is me getting my, rolling up my sleeve, getting my hands dirty, and figuring it out. And once I figure it out, the rest will come. <laughs> I think that's a good perspective. <laughs> and I, I just, I think I struggle personally with it. I think I struggle. I... I just think like, I want to be, I, I think everyone in general, everyone wants to be like you. You give your opinions and people follow them, right? Like Jay Shetty gives his opinions and people follow them. And my opinions in art are new still. They're, they're new. There was a time when I gave opinion and nobody gave a shit. Enough, yeah. Like you think I started out like this? Right. I haven't done enough in order to to say this is it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I haven't done enough. Uh, but I have done so much work in parenting. So much. Like it I doesn't matter so in the beginning. Well, you know, like I've done a lot in marketing and I know a lot about marketing. But in Twitter, everyone ignores me right now. Because nobody really knows. Like Nobody, 90% of the world doesn't know the difference between good advice and bad advice, okay? All they want is the easy advice, the advice that's going to make them feel good, right? So I can talk, so right now, if you go to my Twitter, all the people that are like really engaged with my content are actually old, successful businessmen. <laughs> all those 20-year-old kids talking about six-figure launch, NFT, crypto, all of that shit, they, they all attack me. They say, you don't know what you're talking about. So the old businessmen know exactly and have been through it and know exactly what you're about. Like they trust that. So that, that's why my advice is resonating with them. But with the younger kids, that 25-year-old that kid who has 350,000 followers, that's who they're going to listen to. And if I go against them, I'm going to get attacked. And I have to go, that's my grind right now. <laughs> so nobody can, nobody can skip this step. <laughs> so I guarantee you when you start talking about the parenting, stu parenting stuff, you're going to get attacked. But you have to eat that <laughs> for years. <laughs> and then you'll get to a point where people listen to you. You know how many people hated Gary Vee in the beginning? <laughs> okay, so we're kind of talking a little bit about like responses back. Right. And in order yeah. for me to figure out like responses back to me, 
on your content and and responses back like on my content. So when I post about when I post about graffiti and I post about art, I get a ton of responses like, "Oh my god, I love this. This is great. Looks super cool. I didn't know you were into that." You know, kind of like floaty comments. And then when I talk about parenting, Oh, everyone, like I just got a, like a guy at my work. He, I just posted about parenting with my foster kid, how he doesn't want to get in the bath. Oh my gosh, this guy reached out to me and he was like, you're right, let's talk about this. And I got like a whole discussion about what's the best, everything. For yeah, the it's family. actually helping them. And yeah you know, talking about the bath and talking about his struggle and da da da. And we went on for like an hour long conversation, just one person. So I got what you one want. person response on my parenting that was in depth. And I got a hundred comments on my responses about graffiti. That is just like, yay. Yeah. It's like the depth versus shallow, like w w breath, right? So I'm having this struggle, like, what should I choose? It seems like everyone really loves graffiti and that's so fun. And, you know, I'm having this choice of like, no one really cares about parenting. Well, you think those people that are like, oh, that's cool, cool. You think those people are going to help you in your graffiti career at all? No, they won't. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to. The, the people that are going to help you in the graffiti world are, like I said, those connections. Yeah. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? But here's what's gonna the re, here's the reason why I actually think you should double down on the foster care and have the graffiti thing as a hobby, <laughs> like that you you know when when you have when you just as a leisure time, <laughs> right? Like maybe on one weekend you like, but I think your thing many things should be foster care because number one you you're you're expert in it because you raised 22 kids, right? And you just give advice from your personal experience. What's going to happen is the exact thing that happened to me because I'm giving experience from everything from my personal experience. So it, what's happening in Twitter right now happened to me exactly in Instagram too in the beginning, right? Like I got, like nobody thought my content was good because that's what... If you walk up to 100 people and give them the book, The Odyssey, like those people have no idea that's a, actually a good book. Like most people cannot tell the difference between a good advice and a bad advice, a good quality or bad quality. Most people cannot. Do you understand what I mean? So that's why when you start and you give good advice, there's going to be people that are like brand new parents that doesn't know anything about parenting, but they've read all these books or there's like some professor of psychology or whatever. They're going to be like, no, that's wrong. And blah, 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 blah. They're, they're going to and, and nobody's going to care. But then there's going to be that kid, that mom with the six year old kid who's dealing with this problem in real life. They're going to be like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's exactly what's happening to me right now. And that one person is going to care. OK. And then another, and that one person is going to be like, oh, have other kid, friends who has kids and be like, oh, you got to check out tests. And, and so slowly that's going to happen. And then you're going to hit that one person who's actually uh, gets your content, understand the quality that you're actually giving good advice, not like these other um, inexperienced parenting advice, but actually good advice. 
are going to feature you. Or, and that's how my account grew. Because nobody really gave a shit. Okay? But then all of a sudden, this guy, like Ask Candia, this guy who has 100,000 followers on Instagram, this is when I had like 4,000 followers, okay? This guy that had 100,000 followers on Instagram, like, talked about me and said that this, I'm learning everything from him, like me. <laughs> like, this, he's my mentor. So Candia's like, what? Like, Candia didn't, like, even know who I am. And then we're like, what? Oh. Like, she's your mentor? So, so once th somebody like that endorses you, then everybody's going to fl flock, right? And then, and then nobody talks about me for a while. And then somebody else is like, holy shit. You know what I mean? And then nobody talks to me in a while. And, but then if you're going there in that beginning period, going like, oh, why does nobody care about my content? I'm giving good advice. Nobody cares about That's how it works. <laughs> 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 or you can sell out and you can just give the bullshit advice that you don't agree with. Yeah. And just to grow your account. But I didn't do that. Yeah. So one of the things that I get like super complimented on is my interpersonal skills, right? Like how I show yeah. up on Zoom and I'm really energetic or like how I, you know, uh, create. You're really good with people. When Yeah. When I'm really good with people and I like create communities a little bit, right? And I think a lot of that has come from trial and error in communicating with my foster kids. Like I believe that. They are the most sensitive people in the world. They they they've been abused so badly that like you have to choose every single word and you have to be as authentic as you possibly can. And so I feel like the reason that I'm good at community or the reason that I'm good at interpersonal or how I feel people out is because I've listened and had horrible experiences and had to struggle through a million foster kids before I realized this is what they're looking for. This is how they want. This is what they're, they want from me. How can I communicate with them, right? And, and like, I don't know how to translate that. Like, how do I teach that? How do I teach that to other people? You don't. You don't. That's the thing. Like... <laughs> It's like if I were to say, oh, I don't know how do I translate. Like, what? It's automatically going to happen. Like, okay, maybe I can draw a picture of like, I'm not saying this is exactly the path that it's going to go, but I just want to draw a picture for you so you can kind of tangibly see what, like, because when I say, oh, you just do, you just do parenting and just do it to be yourself and, and then it's going to take some time, but it's going to happen like that. That's too vague. Like, you don't know what that looks like. So I'm going to try to draw a picture for you. It could look something like this, right? Just like that bath video that you made about, you know, like, like he couldn't open his eyes. Like he couldn't do, like when you did that whole pickable thing, I was like, holy fuck. Like that blew my mind because I didn't even know that that was a thing, right? <laughs> but I bet you there's, there are parents out there who's having that problem with their kid. 
Do you understand what I mean? So every day you just keep putting out content like that from your daily experience, your, your actual personal experience, right? What's going to end up happening is you're going to grow an audience of parents, like moms or dads, who, who's going to start following you for your advice, right? On Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube, whatever, right? And then now you have a community. And, and most likely what's going to happen is you're going to be like, oh, let's jump on a Zoom call every week, guys. And, and, you know, and, and maybe you'll create your own Night Owl Nation of parents, right? And then you, that's where your community building skill comes in, right? <laughs> and then you, like, it's just naturally going to evolve. Like, you, you can't be like, I'm really good at this. How can I force this into something? Like, that's not how it works. Do you understand what I mean? Like, yeah. most people find success in what they do accidentally like, like every every one of those success stories when you watch it it sounds like oh i had no idea it's just i just stumbled like like dave cho oh like oh they couldn't they couldn't afford me so they just pay facebook just paid me in stocks and then i just did that everyone stumbles upon it accidentally i was trying to get chris do to follow me for so long and he would just not give me a time of the day right and then I went off Instagram for a year, right? And then I literally didn't post for a year. I didn't even check DMs. And then out of nowhere, he follows me. When I haven't posted in a year. How did that happen, right? Because everybody around him was like, hey, Chris, do you know Sun? Have you seen Sun's content? Have the right people around him have told him that. And how do they know? Because the right people have told them. And so, so everybody's trying to please the algorithm. As everybody's trying to do this fake shit. Or how can I, like, they're trying, to, they're trying to hack things and force people to like them. But if you're just doing it, right, then people share it. They're, and right people, I would much rather have one right audience share it to the 10 right people than the algorithm shows it to a 10,000 people that are that don't, doesn't really care because those are your real audience the ones that's that are that are raving about you they're like oh my gosh you gotta check out Tess like she has the best parenting I like I I literally follow every parenting advice to Instagram and they're all bullshit like you gotta check out Tess that's what you want the right the you want the right people to do that not everyone to, to follow that that's meaningless yeah this didn't go the way that i wanted it to go son <laughs> i think it went better <laughs> i was expecting I, too much from this conversation like here's how you can be a great artist and art person. And then I was like, wait, I'm not good at PR. Like, not that I'm not good at it, but I'm okay at PR. You could be good at it if you double down on it. But what I'm trying to say is you already have a thing. You're already sitting on a lottery ticket. You're just too scared to cash it in. It's like what? Remember, it's what uh, Ben Affleck to, told Good Will Hunting, Will Hunting, right? Like... Like, the rest of us have no choice but to start from the ground and just learn a skill and blah, 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 blah. The, the 25-year-old kid who wants to be an Instagram coach, like, he needs to build that skill, right? Like, the rest of us 
are struggling with that. You are actually literally sitting on a <laughs> golden ticket that you don't want to cash in. Because I don't like to consume that content. <laughs> and I, like I said, I, I don't like consuming marketing content either. The reason why I don't like consuming marketing content is because when I consume marketing content, what I see is like, here's the five ways you can hack the algorithm. Use these hashtags. Use this. That's why I don't consume those content. Or, or somebody sitting here be like, oh, just be yourself and, you know, be authentic. Like, that's why I don't like consuming content because I know that those are all surface level bullshit advice. I, I give like deep down practical advice with examples and like, you know, all from personal real life like experience, right? But nobody wants that. Why? Because this takes more work. That's quick and easy. That sounds good. Like if I say, oh, story brand, oh, there's a there's a there's a character who has a problem who <laughs> looks finds a guy who teaches them a lesson. Like, oh, that sounds amazing. Um, okay, I'm a yoga therapist. How do I apply that to me? <laughs> right? But I actually want to help the yoga. <laughs> I actually want to help the yoga therapist. Right? And I'm giving them. I'm, and I'm actually working with these people to try to figure out. Okay, what is it they need to hear? But that's hard work. So no yoga therapist wants to hear that. They, they, and then all of a sudden they hear a story and I'm like, ooh, that sounds good. And then they pay $2,000 to buy and be like, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> and then they come to me afterwards. <laughs> like once they've wasted 10 years trying to do that, and then they're like, okay, I, I actually think Sun's message is resonating with me. But 10 years before that, they'll never... That's the person that doesn't know the difference between some shitty garbage book and the odyssey <laughs> do you understand what i mean yeah no i mean totally yeah one of my coworkers is reading a book about parenting right now and she was sharing with me like oh you know if if the child is doing something bad right like if they're if they're um coloring on the wall or something you you take the crayon away and you say that's one and then if they color on the wall again, you say, that's two. And then if they color on the wall a third time, you say, that's three. And then you put them in timeout. Okay? I'm like, what do you mean you wait three times for the kid to color on the wall? Are you insane? Are you insane? Like, that's stupid to me. Why would you do that? Why would you wait at all? You don't wait. Yeah. Kids learn when you immediately correct them. In fact, People learn when you immediately correct them. If I interrupted you, son, and was like, no, no, that's not good. Like, you would you would be shocked. You would learn immediately. Yeah. You would pay yeah, attention. Yeah. You would be, yeah. like, shocked into it. Yeah. Like, that's just how people... It's because that sounds good. That advice just sounds good, but it's not... It doesn't work in practical, <laughs> practical world. <laughs> like, those are the advices that gets the views, right? The one that sounds good, but that'll never work. But any, but so anybody who's, done, who's not really experienced will eat that shit up. But any parent who's, who's been raising kids <laughs> will see through that bullshit, right? Like, like, it's like that time when you said, you know, most parents do this, right? They say, oh, no iPad in the car rule. And then when they get lazy, their kids are crying, but like, okay. They'll break their own rule, right? Like, right. that 
that kind of stuff is like the thing thing that really hits home. You know what I mean? Because as a parent, we know we do that. Yeah. And <laughs> do you know what I mean? You totally can do that. You, you totally can break your own rules. I think you just have to like have conditions about it. Yeah, but you have to be clear about it. But most people don't do that. Like yeah. they're confusing the child by saying one thing and then acting one other thing, right? Or something like that's what you were saying about the, the rules at Night Owl Nation. So, so that really hit me deep. I'm like, oh, that's so true. Like I, <laughs> you know, so when you say the truth, somewhere deep inside, we know it's true, even if we don't want to hear it. So that's why, that's why I, the reason why, let me ask you a, a question. Deep down inside, when you read those books and things like th that, like, do you, do you know that you can do better? Do you know that you can do better than them? You can teach better than them? Yeah. Like, what's stopping you to... I think I could write a better parenting book then. That's one. That's two. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What about, like, making content on, on Instagram about parenting? Or something like that. Probably. Like, do you? Okay. I, I just I tell a lot of stories which other people don't do. I would say, like because. And do you this, feel? Because of this community, I've started telling a lot of stories, and giving what you do. Like I copy you almost exactly. Like I will do an exact instance of when something happened. Which yeah, I, I copied from you. <laughs> and most people are like, well, parenting is like, parenting is like Yeah, they, this. they make it theoretical. They make it vague and like symbolic or like <laughs> it's, it's not practical, right? Like, And I will say, like, I was talking to someone about parenting their dog, right? And I was like, dog parenting is parenting. It really is, honestly. Like, yeah. and I was saying, like, imagine you see a dog on the street, walking down the street, and it barks at a squirrel, and then it like really barks at that squirrel, and then like tries to go for it, and it's like gets crazy, right? And your dog sees the squirrel and keeps walking. What a great dog. You've trained that dog well, right? That is great. Whatever you've done, you've presented a calm environment for the dog, you know that the dog is okay, like whatever it is, right? And like, that's the same with parenting. And I was telling someone this, like sometimes you see your kids and you're like, oh, my my kid is better than your kid. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you see your dog and you're like, oh, my dog is better than your dog. Uh -huh. And it, it just translates into almost every situation. And uh -huh. they were like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. And I was like, yeah. I, like yeah. parenting is parenting no matter what. And some people don't believe that. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like when you know, when you have a dog, you know for a fact that when, some, when they do something that you don't want them to do, you have to punish every single time. Not just sometimes and sometimes let it go. Like that doesn't work. Like you have every single time, right? And you, can, you should never ever punish them for something that you want them to keep doing. Mm, but a lot, of, right? a lot of parents also do that, right? They... they they accidentally punish somebody for, because like, I catch myself do that sometimes with people. Like I, I'll be like, no, don't do that. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I should have, I should have actually let them keep doing that because eventually when they keep doing that, they're gonna get better or something mm -hmm. like that, right? 
like when 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 you when you told the story wrong, I shouldn't have said that. I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? Because oh, I mean, you, I'm not saying no, 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 no. It was in one of the small group uh, leader meeting where I said you did that wrong. Oh, and I shouldn't have said that because doing it wrong is better than not doing it at all. But I mean, you obviously you're not gonna do that. But if that was a child, and I say you did it wrong, that child will probably never do, even do it. Tell another story again. Because they're afraid of doing it wrong, something like that. But anyway, I will the say the point I was getting that at, was a really yeah. hard week for me, actually. Yeah. So even adults, it's a- yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I do everything wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So, but the point I was getting at is this. So I don't think confidence is your problem, right? Like. Why do you feel that you should you shouldn't be going out and being the parenting expert? Like I am the queen of parenting. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Because for me, obviously I'm a nobody in this marketing world compared to you know, like the people with millions of followers and all of that, right? But that doesn't I actually but when I look at the everybody in this space like I have this superiority complex deep inside. I'm like, no, I'm the number one in this field. <laughs> I don't care if you have 10 million followers. I don't give a shit if you have 10 courses and you did $100 million in revenue. No, I am better than you. Like that's how I look at it. And therefore, I have no issue with confidence at all. I don't have no imposter syndrome when it comes to like giving advice that goes against them. Like I... Like I look at Russell Brunson, who's probably one of the most successful person in this marketing field, and I look at Russell Brunson like, oh, you're you're a child. <laughs> like when it comes to marketing, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's because so, and it's because it, it is it, it is for people who want to do it right. If you if you're the type of person that just wants to manipulate people, rip people off, and make as much money as you want, yeah, he's the man. He's the number one in that. But if you actually want to sell a good product and build a good product and build a business where you actually help people and not manipulate people, then I'm the per- I, there's nobody who's better than me at that. And I, I feel so confident about that that I don't feel guilty or ashamed at all I'm putting out content and like acting like the authority because I inside deep inside I know I am. And so I that's why I'm asking you like deep inside do you know you're the real expert in parenting because you raised 22 kids because <laughs> what what other parenting expert out there has raised 22 kids <laughs> yeah my goal is 35 so we're gonna keep going um yeah you're right you're totally right i feel extremely confident in talking about parenting and translating it to every aspect of my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't want to say this cliche motivational speaker coach thing, but I, I'm going to say it because it's true, right? You're literally doing the world a disservice by not talking about your parenting advice on the internet. While somebody's getting that one crayon, two crayon, that giving like you're literally doing a disservice by not correcting that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, that sounds good to me. I mean, I guess I should double down. I should double down. Yeah. I mean, from from outsider point of view, me looking from outside, like it's so clear. Like I'm, it's like a, it's not even it's it's like a no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like graffiti, which you're like a, a hobbyist, and then you have this thing you're expert in that you can probably do better for the world than anyone else, and you're trying to sit here and make. Okay, what should I do? But I really what? love graffiti, and it's so. Funny. That's why I do it as a hobby. That's your hobby. <laughs> just like, just like traveling, just like going out to eat at restaurants, just like watching TV. It's it's a hobby, just like that. It's not your eighty percent. That's true. I guess I, why I went into graffiti is because I wanted to help people. Like I wanted to help my friends. This is what's gonna happen once you start putting out parenting content, and then once that community starts happening, you're gonna get so much fulfillment from there. <laughs> That you're not even gonna think about graffiti. You're not. You're gonna quit your job, and you're like it's gonna be a whole new thing. Like I, I don't. I don't think you realize how much fulfillment you're gonna get from this thing once you go all in on it. Okay. At least try it, and then prove me wrong if, <laughs> if you don't agree with me. <laughs> no, I think I'm afraid because I think that you're right, and I think I'm afraid of it, and I. You know what? what are you afraid of? I have one of those complexes where it's like, um, like I want clients, but I really don't want clients. Because then I'll have to like interact with clients and and do things, you know? Yeah. So that's why I start out by just putting out like I'm, I'm the same way. So that's why I start out by putting out content first. So you, you don't have a responsibility or you don't have an obligation or anything like that. You can take a week off if you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the reason why I, when I first, like, <laughs> to be honest with you, part of the reason why I made the Night Owl Nation $5 a month is because if I charge two $3,000 things or if I do, you know, like $2,000 coaching calls and things like that, I don't know if I can handle that pressure. Like, I'm, I'm going to feel so obligated to help every single person. And it's, it's the reason why I didn't do the high ticket course. And I just like, but if somebody's paying $5 a month, which costs like one fifth of a book, which nobody even reads, like, I don't feel obligated. Okay. <laughs> do you understand what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Pressure. Yeah. <laughs> but I do it because I genuinely love it. And I, 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 I actually didn't. I actually didn't even think that I'm going to love it this much. I actually was kind of, in the beginning, I was a little bit afraid. Like, is this fire going to die out at some point? But I'm so surprised that, like, every day it just gets better and better and better. And and it, and the reason why is because I'm not putting my pressure on, oh, how many members do we have? Oh, one rep. Like, I'm not putting any pressure on that. The reason why it gets, gets better and better and better is because this is what I love doing. <laughs> do you understand what I mean? Like... Yeah. It's really cool. You're really cool. <laughs> You're really cool, Tess. <laughs> I I've, I've I've told you that before, but yeah, I, I I'm really glad you're in the community. You're really like when it comes to community and people, like you're really the glue that holds Night Owl Nation together. 
like because your energy energy <laughs> is is you know it, it spreads and it really is uh contagious and yeah so thank you thank you so much thank you yeah i just i really i like it here and i like you and i like gigi a lot we're gonna be best besties we're gonna yeah be you and gigi are like really similar in, in the sense that gigi also loves like people and you know just talking to people and things like that so yeah thank you so much <laughs> uh, i can't believe we talked for like hour and a half already oh my gosh i'm so sorry <laughs> I went over time. No, 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 no. It's good. The, the overtimes are the best ones. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tess. Thank you for the amazing conversation. Thank you for all the inspiration and the, the love that you give to the community. Um, hopefully you walked away with something here. Thank you all for listening and cheers, everyone. Bye. <laughs>